You're listening to Joe List's Mindful Metal Jacket on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Hello, welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I tried to beef it up a little bit there at the end. Mindful Metal Jacket. It'd be weird if this is the first uh, episode you listen to. Maybe it is. I hope it is. Maybe a lot of you are listening for the first time ever right now, and you heard that sinister introduction. Welcome to the Mindful Metal Jacket. That sounded a little bit like uh, Andy Dick in The Cable Guy, Medieval Times. Cable Guy, a uh, great movie. Um up until the last uh, about 15 or 20 minutes. After they play Porno Password, everything kind of stinks. But everything before that is pure gold. Great film, I think. Hilarious. It's Joe List. You're listening to Mindful Metal Jacket. Thanks for listening. Um, How about this week, huh, folks? Getting a little, little tense out there, is it not? It is. It's a crazy time. It's a scary time. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're uh, being safe and uh, out of harm's way, whatever you're doing. Um, I hope that you're taking uh, caution and or taking it if you're taking risks to take at least calculated risks. And um, I hope that you're doing as well as can be. And it's a confusing, scary, crazy time. And um, hopefully uh, better times will come from it. Hey, uh, hard to imagine right now. It's hard to imagine how we're going to get out of this, uh, mess we're in uh, as a nation. Um, and as a, as a people in general, as an international nation, if that made any sense, a planet, world, society, but you can do, you can do a lot to help, um, by first, Helping yourself, I think it's kind of like those when oh, airplanes when they're uh, they say put your own mask on before securing your uh, dumb baby who doesn't know how to put masks on. That's how I feel in this situation, uh, which sounds selfish, but I don't think it is. I think you got to take care of your own mental health first, so you're making um, decisions uh, based on rational thought. That's what I would say. And I would also say it's okay to be confused and it's okay to be scared and it's okay to be anxious. Um, those are all normal feelings in a crazy time. I'm talking to myself as much as I am talking to you. Um, yeah, it's been a crazy time, but uh, we're here uh, with another episode. You guys have been listening. It seems to be growing. Um, tell some friends. That's the best thing you can do for this show. That would be a service. Um to me and hopefully to you and your friends. Oh, the show I think is enjoyable and seems to be helpful from everything people are saying. People have been sending me nice emails. You can email me at showlistcomedy at gmail or uh, Instagram or Twitter. I'm trying to check those things less because uh, it becomes addictive and toxic. Um, but I appreciate hearing from you guys. And uh, leave a review on iTunes if you'd like, if you have the time. And uh, some people uh, donated money to the show. By the show, I mean me. Uh, at Venmo, which was really nice, at Joe List Comedy. No pressure to do that. I know uh, times are hard, and uh, some of that money is going to money that I'm donating to places, which has been nice. Uh, I wish I could do more of it, but my job ended. But that's enough about me. Um, how are you guys doing? Are you guys working? Are you off? 
or by off, I mean laid off, fired, furloughed, whatever. Um, there is a new episode. You're listening to it. I um, talked with my friend Isabel Hagen last night. She's a wonderful comedian. Um, she plugs her social media at the end, I think. She's more of an Instagram gal. Uh, we've been friends for a year, I guess. I met her at um, Skankfest. And we had, uh, she was very funny and we have very similar anxieties and uh, OCD and um, assortment of other things. So uh, we're, uh, we've become pretty good friends and I thought, hey, Isabel's got anxiety. Maybe she'd like to talk about it. And she was willing and able and uh, it was a nice conversation. So um, I hope you enjoy it and I hope you go and enjoy some of Isabel's comedy and music she's a world-class uh, musician viola player um that's a that's a hot instrument right everyone everyone loves a good viola just kidding you probably don't know what a viola is if you're a regular person but anyways she's wonderful we had a great talk and uh, hopefully it'll be helpful and um i just wanted to add um i hope you're exercising your uh, empathy muscles no matter how you feel maybe maybe uh we could all Everybody try to uh, have a little more empathy for everybody. Um, the police, the protesters, even the rioters, you know. Um, it's uh, hard to watch people looting and assaulting people, but I don't know, maybe try to uh, take a moment, even a, one moment to uh, maybe... Um, feel even the slightest amount of empathy for at least people looting. I don't know about the assault. I have a hard time with that um, police or civilian assault. Maybe I don't have empathy for them, actually, but um, I don't know. I'm just saying to try. Let's just try. All of us try to be a little more empathetic, sympathetic, kinder, you know. Um, it's hard to understand where other people are coming from sometimes, but let's at least try, take a breath and um, be our best selves, put our best foot forward and any other cliche. Anyways, I love you. I'm talking too much probably. Uh, but um, I was staying with a friend and I came back home and my wife's not home. So I'm sitting here by myself talking to a microphone and a few thousand people that are listening. I hope you're doing well. And I hope that you are feeling um, some sympathy and empathy for everybody involved in all of this. And by all of this, I mean the planet that we're existing on at the same time. We all inhabit the same small planet, JFK. Nice guy. Got shot in the face. Anyways, here is a little moment. One of my favorite people is Jack Cornfield. He wrote a book called The Wise Heart that changed my life. I highly recommend it. Cornfield with a K. Um... He's wonderful, and here's a quote from him. The point isn't to perfect your body or your personality. The point is really to perfect your compassion and your love. Hear that, folks? It's all about compassion. I sort of said compassion earlier instead of empathy and sympathy. Or maybe they both work. Work on your compassion. I'll work on mine, and we can make it a better place, at least in our own personal worlds. Perfect your compassion and your love, folks. Don't worry about your body. I know I haven't been. Here's Isabel Hagen. Thank you for listening. Take care and be safe.
This is it. I am here with Isabel Hagen. Is it Hagen, by the way? Because I've been saying Hagen and some people say Hagen. No, no, it's Hagen. That's what I'm saying, right? You're, yeah, you're, they're, they're idiots. Oh, geez, that's hurtful because some of these people are very <laughs> nice, kind people. <laughs> no, it's, um, I think actually it probably is Hagen, but over generations of, you know, Midwestern peeps, it's evolved it to Hagen. Okay. So that's not very, that's not that interesting. No. But we say, we say Hagen, but it might technically be Hagen is what I'm trying to say. That was really nice. Cause that was, that was you protecting the people that have said your name wrong, which is sweet. Yeah. I, Cause I also, there are references to Hagen's like it, there's a Hagen character in a Wagner opera and he pronounces it like that character. It's called Hagen. Right. And that's in German. So. And then this Hagen Dask. Hagen, this is the Hagen string quartet. They say Hagen. Okay. And then there's Tom, the most famous Hagen to me is Tom Hagen of the Corleone family, Robert Duvall's character in the Godfather movie. Oh, yes. I've been told about this character. I have not seen the Godfather. Um, that's something you should see, but that's a podcast. It's not, I shouldn't say you should see. I hate people that are like, you gotta fucking, you gotta see this. You should see, you're crazy. I would just say that's a very good film that you would probably enjoy, but maybe you wouldn't enjoy it. I don't know. For the folks at home, you're sitting in front of a, a Star is Born poster. <laughs> so, Yeah, but what, what I would say, though, about what you were saying before is, yeah, you want to like entice, you want to make someone think they decided to see the movie. Like, oh, it's it's a good movie. Say no more. And then, then they're like, oh, maybe I should check it out. But if you're like, oh, you got to see it. It's so good. I'm like, fuck you. I'm not going to watch that. Yeah, What, what I good could it be? By the way, just to let you know, I'm going to record this on Zoom uh, computer just to make sure I have a backup. Okay. So when you see the, the record thing going, I don't want you to think I'm secretly recording you. The fuck are you doing? Yeah, even though we what are, are you use this for? recording a show. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just get annoyed. I try to, and this is along the lines of what we're here to talk about, I try my best to treat people the way I want to be treated. That's a general principle that we're all taught. Right. Mm -hmm. And yes. I get annoyed. And this is probably my own ego or resentful when people are like, you never saw. Oh, you got to You got to. Uh, that's why I'm like this. That's a great movie you'd enjoy. I like to put that out there. Right. You don't because you don't like the feeling when someone says that to you. See, I actually kind of like telling people I haven't seen certain classic films like I like getting the rise out of them. Like I'm like, ooh, they're going to they're going to get upset about this. Like I haven't seen. I can't even think of a movie, but The Godfather. The Godfather. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to use a different movie to like at, change it, but I couldn't think of one. What about The Graduate? Have you seen that? I have seen The Graduate, yes. Okay, I'm trying to think of, other, to think like, of other yeah classics that maybe you haven't seen. The Wizard of Oz? I've, of course I've seen The Wizard of Oz, Joe. Well, The Godfather's, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, that's like, <laughs> that's better than The Wizard of Oz. Okay, well, maybe I should see it, but who knows? Yeah, you don't have to see it, but... Anyways, we're here to talk about anxiety, mindfulness, and you're a guest that I think is great because you seem to be, not, not seem to be, we're pretty close friends. You're pretty riddled with anxiety. Is that safe to say? Riddled. Yeah, that's a great word for it. <laughs> Just uh, constantly, like I don't, I don't get depressed that much, but I'm always anxious. And right. I always have like that feeling in my stomach, like, like constantly at the pit in my stomach that something is wrong or that I, I messed up 
when usually nothing is wrong, at least in my life. Obviously, there's a lot wrong right now, but it hasn't like changed since the pandemic or anything. It's the same. Your feeling hasn't changed, you mean? Not really. I mean, sure, there are moments of heightened anxiety now because of it, but my baseline like was still pretty high before all of this. And yeah. I think the same with you. Yeah, that's what's interesting is, you know, well, I'm doing very well, surprisingly, in general in my life with my battle with anxiety. Like, like it's, you're really on top of it? Yeah, it's weird because it lined up me sort of really figuring it out as best as I've been able to so far and really improving mentally has coincided with the most insane shit that I've experienced in the real world, which is weird. Like, right. And you, sorry. No, no, go ahead. You wonder if like, cause I feel like you have been just based on talking to you outside of this podcast, you have been doing a lot of work on your anxiety and ways to manage it. And you wonder like, is that just coincidence or are you doing more work because of like the pandemic and the world chaos right now? So it's like, it is actually a result but it's like a good result from it because you're forced to do more work on yourself. Well, a couple things. Okay. It's funny because now it feels like I'm your guest, which I appreciate because I like <laughs> talking about myself. So yeah, I'm just, you know, you're just here to guide me as I talk about myself. <laughs> we don't need to get to know you. Well, Cause um, I was going to follow that up with how I feel about that, but I want to know how you felt about it. Great. No, it's perfect. You're the best <laughs> host that I've ever had. Um, no, well, it is interesting because I do feel like I've had time to put more work in. Um, like I've been actively working on my sobriety during this time and I've been making, I've been meditating daily. Nothing's getting in the way of my meditation and sometimes twice daily. And I've had more time to read. So I'm going back and reading a lot of old Buddhist books that I used to read. And also though, there's another level to it where I am not um, performing every night. So there's no like performance anxiety. I'm not meeting meet and greets. I'm, I'm doing a lot less socializing. So there's less social anxiety and I'm not traveling. I'm not, I don't have an alarm clock. I don't have to wake up early. I don't have to take a cab to a flight and get off and on a plane. And uh, there's a lot of stress obviously with all that. So I think my stress levels have gone down because of that. Right. Cause you're actually, even though if you think about what's going on, it's stressful there's actually nothing stressful in your daily activities. Yeah. So <laughs> there's less, kinda... yeah, there's less stressful activities happening, but there is the, the world shit of like, when are we going to be able to leave our house again? When am I going to be able to work again? Right. Will but... I ever work again? Will, <laughs> um, but we will, sorry. I didn't mean to suggest that as a thing, but yeah, it's funny. Like I, I do feel like I'm living this very peaceful spiritual life a lot of the time now and it's much simpler and there were times when I thought like man am I ever gonna like stop when I was like in the thick of doing comedy and music and balancing all that and just non-stop it's like am I ever gonna have like a time where I just don't do anything like I would think that and I was like probably not till I'm like old like why would I stop maybe I'd take like a week here or there and now I'm actually getting to live out this somewhat of a fantasy that I had. Yeah. I think a lot of people probably feel that way. I feel the exact same way. And I was talking about it like incessantly on my podcast, Tuesdays with Stories, and this podcast of like, I'm run down. I need a break. I've just been on the road constantly and running around. And you're like you said, you're a musician and comedian at the same time. So you're like working both careers pretty hard. 
right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yes, sometimes. <laughs> it comes in waves. Uh, it's not like I'm always working hard at both careers. And I am working. There's more active effort on the comedy side because I've, I'm have i less advanced in that one. So I still have to do a lot more work to like get to the level where I want to be. Whereas with music, I've been at it for 23 years. So... Right. I can sort of rot, coast a little bit more with music. Now, for the folks who don't know, because I'm going to give you a nice intro before this conversation so that people will have some idea, but you are a world-class musician. Is that fair to say? Sure. I'll yeah. say it for you, but you're going to say it anyways. <laughs> I was worried that you'd be you know, feel weird saying it, but you went to Juilliard School of Music. That's correct, yes? Yes, that's I a did. hard school to get into, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> not as hard as Berkeley, I've got to tell you. But they... <laughs> that's a inside joke that nobody knows what's happening. Yeah, here, but... I don't know why I brought. I, so I'm sorry. No, that's all right. You I've can, been uh... busting uh, Isabel's vagina flaps that she went to Berkeley, <laughs> which is a different music school. Right. That you also you always spell it wrong, which I find funny. Yeah, which originally was accidental, but now I continue to do it because it's yeah, yeah, funny. But anywho, so you went to. Uh, Juilliard, which is like, was that a stressful time? Was that cr- crazy anxiety or stress or was that whatever? Yeah. So I started going to Juilliard. I went to their pre-college program that happened on Saturdays starting in eighth grade. And before then, my music stuff had always just been like a fun activity. And then when I got there, there were just all of a sudden like I was because I had been a big fish in a small pond at my community music school. And then I got to Juilliard and I like remember just crying when I got home that night. Like, I just, I can't do it. Everyone's so good. Like I'm nothing. And like my parents being like, look, you're going to just, what are you going to just cry? Like keep going. And eventually like I found my way, but like it, at least it started out as something super stressful and just, you know, all of a sudden you realize you're nothing compared to so many people. And then I think cause I went there for so many years maybe the stress kind of changed and got a little less towards the end when I was kind of checked out and didn't care anymore by like my 11th year there. Uh, Wait, so you went to school there for 11 years? Well, so for five years, it was just a Saturday program. And I did four years of undergrad and then two years of master's. Wow. Uh, And so was there um, like a lot of pressure from your parents or did you put that pressure on yourself? Like you felt it subconsciously from them or they were actually like fuck you you play that piano <laughs> when I was younger my dad would force me to practice but he wasn't strict within the practicing he just was was strict about getting me to take the instrument out and to sorry there's a helicopter I don't know if you if it's gonna be in the recording but well, I'm you know sharing a house with a friend and he has like a war movie so we might have multiple helicopters going oh great okay we each have yeah, our he- own <laughs> helicopter sound <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm in the war and you guys have the <laughs> war. Anyway, sorry, that was stupid. No, it's <laughs> funny. I mean, it's hurtful, but um <laughs> All right, so anyway, yes, speaking of So yeah, my so dad like pushed war. me to Go back My dad to pushed me to practice. He was nice about it, but he was like, "Okay, we're going to practice every day." He would bribe me with st- he would give me a beanie baby at the end of every week that I practiced every day. So there was like some pressure, but it was like friendly pressure, and I would say eventually I just it was all my own initiative because I just decided I wanted to be a professional musician and I knew how much work it took. My older brother is a serious classical musician as well. So I was kind of like always trying to live up to him. And, uh, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't have a very active social life. So I really, I thought this would like make me special if I was like good at 
viola. It's so funny, the idea of like ex- <laughs> being uh, really good at viola will plug me into the social circles. Well, it, it did become social because I, I got all my good friends from Juilliard because we could at least like bond over music. And I had I, that was like comforting for me. So it actually was like an extremely social thing. And then I think I lost um, the, the allure of the social aspect of it was like lost on me. And then I just realized I didn't really want to be a, just a violist. And then that's when I started doing comedy. So maybe it was all, I really just became a musician to get friends. Interesting. And you're a, a wonderful comedian as well. And now people have request, people that listen to the show have uh, requested that I talk about social anxiety uh, specifically. Now, mm. you're someone that suffers from social anxiety, I would say. Is that oh, yeah. a correct assumption? Yeah. When did that start? Was that like kindergarten or was that did that come later? I think I probably started sensing it in I always felt really awkward and I would like say the wrong thing and people would be like that's weird uh, like adults I would like weird out adults and then in third grade I was friends with this girl and then like halfway through the year she like turned on me and she was like cool all of a sudden and I wasn't and then that just sort of I was really just I isolated myself I had a very low self-image I would say yes and same. I just assumed anything I said was like wrong and that I was this uh inconvenience for everybody that's how i feel all the time still yeah i mean i do too a lot of the time i think i've i trained myself somewhat and i mean there there was the period where i was um drinking and i could just like you know snap into a, I, I became a different person and i can still snap into that if i like need to i can be like phony with people and be like this social person but it's not real and it feels very uh it's like takes a lot of effort yeah i know that feeling well i mean like with social anxiety i mean do you have this feeling i imagine you do like for me it's almost like a weird high after the because uh, like you know how like when you have like a ton of stress and anxiety and you feel it physically like i blink and i flex all my muscles and then when you get away from that situation you start to be like <sighs> like you start, to, like it feels like a release of endorphins or whatever the science is. Yeah. And so it's weird. Like I feel that when after, after, after any time I like I'm at a party or a meet and greet or whatever, that moment of like finally getting back by yourself or with a, a friend or like a, a loved one, you just have that feeling of like, whew. And it does feel like, I don't know how to describe it. I guess it's just that feeling after a really stressful situation where you feel safe again. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if you ever did this, like if you were at a party and then you just go to the bathroom for a second and like yeah. shut the door and just like, oh. or I remember I, I went to summer camp when I was a kid, like a sports summer camp and I was terrible at sports and like had no friends. And they had these bathroom <laughs> stalls that like, you know how the bathroom stall usually has like a space where you can see the person's feet. Sure. They had these special ones where the door extended like all the way from the top to the bottom. So you were like completely private in these stalls. And I remember I loved going into one of those and just like being in there because I was just like, oh, like I'm alone. I don't have to worry about anything. And I could like recharge. Yeah, that's the best. I mean, that's where I I feel that way all the time. And I've had it happen recently where you're just like, this is just me. And to me, for me, I feel like it's a control thing where you're like, in here, nobody can tell me what to do. I don't have to try to respond. I don't have to come up with the right thing to say. Nothing matters. Mm-hmm. It's just me. And I feel that way even here. Like I'm like last week, I'm sharing a house with like one of my closest friends 
in the world. But like at the end of the day, when you get back into your room, you're still like, ah, okay. I, like there's no, for some reason, the anxiety of like, um, of listening and coming up with the right thing to say in response to somebody. Cause we've all had those moments where somebody finishes saying something and you're like, definitely. And they're like, what? <laughs> and then they're like, I was saying I was going to kill myself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you oh, know. Shit. <laughs> you're like, uh, sorry. Cause we're in our own heads all the time. Yeah. Like I, I'm here in my apartment with my roommate who I couldn't enjoy being with more. Like we, we get along so well, we just balance each other out. And I still like at the end of the night after we watch a movie, sometimes I'm like, all right, I need to like go to my room and like just be alone. And I'll, you, I'll just be like, okay, I'm going to bed, but I probably won't go to bed. I'll like stay up and like do whatever, you know, but you just need that space. Yeah. It's so, um, it's so weird. And I don't, I don't know where mine started, but I remember, um, distinctly when I was going to kindergarten, for some reason I didn't go to preschool. I don't know why my parents didn't, my sister did. And I didn't, I don't know if they mm. saved money or what, whatever it was, but I was used to being at home, socializing with my family. And my first day of kindergarten, I walked in, I just was like bawling. I couldn't, I didn't want to leave my mother. I was like, I can't go in there. And I remember like having like essentially like a panic attack, but I was like crying and it was like a scene. And um, Dave Chappelle talked about this in an interview, but I had the same feeling as him where like, it felt like in kindergarten, everybody had met each other. Did you have that feeling? It felt like everyone knew each other and I was just coming in. They were like, who's this fucking idiot? Yeah. Maybe I felt that in kindergarten. I don't think I felt that like, yeah. Cause it's like when you're new at the school. So that makes sense. Yeah. You're like, how did you... Did you like, and so I think I actually went to a school where some kids had met each other because they had like a preschool program that they did beforehand. Is that what you're saying? That they all went to preschool together? I guess maybe. I mean, maybe they did go to preschool and that's how, why I, I was just, I didn't go to right, preschool and just, I thought that's why I had that feeling maybe. Right. But maybe it was just, the, maybe they didn't know each other and they were just more able to like click in right away. I think some people really do just thrive off of other people's energies more. Well, that's uh, what's so interesting to me, I guess, is I guess I still have that same feeling now where people there's people that can obviously we have friends like this that can just walk into a room and they're just friends with people. They just start talking to people. And I'm like, that's psychotic to me. Yeah. Are they being genuine, though? I wonder. I, maybe some of them really are. And they just that's just how they I don't know. I <laughs> You don't want to like accuse someone of, you can't like ask them like, so when you do that, when you're like being cool and stuff, like, is that really you? Or like, are you also hurting inside? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they're hurting to some degree, but th some people are just more social. There's definitely people that are social who are also depressed or sad or angry or their, you know, their parents hit them or whatever the hell. But right. it's a different um, issue because I think like I feel like I'm a pretty happy guy, a relatively happy guy. I just get anxious in social situations where I think there's people that are very social who are incredibly unhappy. They're called yes. alcoholics. <laughs> um, but do you get this sometimes where you're talking to someone who even you know really well and you feel like the lull in the conversation and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, like, am I like a really boring, uninteresting person? Like what's going on here? Cause you're just, your energies aren't gelling. And then you start like evaluating your whole relationship with them. And if it's been like a lie, if you should never see them again, do you do that? Or am I just crazy? I had that five <laughs> minutes ago in this podcast when you looked away for a second, I was like, she's bored. Was, she hates the show. I was looking at my recorder cause I got paranoid that it wasn't recording or something. That's all. Yeah, me too. I was I'm gonna do fully that right engaged. Now. I'm going to do that right now. Okay. Yeah. And then sometimes 
you'll be talking and I'll be like, okay, make sure you're listening so that you can say something. But then you've said like five things while I've been like, make sure you're listening. Oh, shit. That didn't really happen right now, but that's happened to me a lot. I feel the same way. And like, well, I feel exactly the same way. And I had that like even earlier today where you're like, you're listening and then exactly, I'm just going to repeat what you just said. You start (laughs) thinking about listening to the person and then all of a sudden you're like, am I listening right now? Am I a good listener? And then before you know it, you're like, oh fuck, I just missed a whole lot of shit this person was saying. I guess so many things come down to this, but it comes down to just being fully present. Because if you're fully present, I I guess you'd think that you wouldn't miss anything. You wouldn't be thinking about anything other than what the person is actually saying to you. Yeah, but that's, and that's what's um, such a struggle. But that is, I think, the answer to all of the problem, all of the problems that we're dealing with now in society. um, Oh, yeah. Is that like this lack of presence and sort of living in the past and living in the future and not listening and people making their minds up about things before um, any kind of discussion and not being open to um, hearing things and being outside of the present moment. Right. Reacting quickly without. And also all the, you know, narcissism and, and hunger for power and money. I mean, all of that that's, you know, essentially destroying this country comes from feeling unsatisfied probably with yourself and feeling unsatisfied. Ultimately it comes down to not being present and maybe it's that simple. Exactly. I I think about like evil dictators and I'm like, man, can we just like teach them how to feel happy in the moment? Maybe they'd stop like fucking shit up so much. Completely. I mean, I really do think it's, it's simplified obviously, but that's the thing. It's simple, but not easy. Like yoga, like meditation, uh, you know, a lot of things are simple, but not easy. And I think like you could break it down to that. And it's not like blaming those people. They're in a system that doesn't allow them to be uh, present. All of us are because we're not taught that. There's like an old thing that I've thought of and I wasn't the first one to point it out, but like going back to preschool, preschool is preparing you for kindergarten and kindergarten is preparing you for elementary school, which prepares you for middle, yada, yada. And then college prepares you for real life. So we are in this mindset of preparing for something. And I think that's part of my anxiety and stress a lot of my life is the feeling of life hasn't begun yet. When I'm here, that's when life will begin. When I'm making this amount of money or when I have health insurance or when I'm married, whatever it is, that's when life has begun. But really life has been happening all along and life is happening right now in this moment. We're having this conversation. But even this, part of me is thinking of people's response to this podcast and sending the sound files and is this recording? And if this wasn't recording, I got to send it to my producer. So... It's difficult to be present all of the time, but it's a constant effort to be present, if that made sense. Right. And it's so elusive because the minute you start thinking about being present, you're not present. Yeah, that's so where it gets really deep. <laughs> but oh, I like that about, you know, everything is is preparation for something else. And at the same time, also, your whole life, you should want to learn, just like in school. It's like both things should, like you should learn, you should be living your life when you're in school and when you're not in school, you should still be trying to learn things while also being present. Yeah. And like they, maybe if they weren't such separate sections, maybe if there was more like immersive learning, and I think there are probably experimental schools of teaching like that, but I would hope, I mean, I, I th- that's <laughs> what we should be teaching. By the way, also 
the whole time we're working, we're planning for retirement. You got to get ready for retirement. Right. And then right. in retirement, you're like, you got to get your affairs in order. Like you have to have your will. Right. It's, it's really, I mean, I think we would be better served. And this, it's interesting because I've been like so anti-religion my whole life, but then I'm like, I'm like one of those guys. Cause I'm like, yeah, but Buddhism is the best religion and that's what everyone should study. <laughs> but I do think we would be better off. Like if, in public schools, they started meditating when you were young. They taught you to sit and just be with your breath and be with yourself and and, and be present and work on being present. Yeah. I went to a really progressive K through 12 school and I, I remember doing some meditation as a child. And I actually have this memory where like they had us close our eyes and the teacher said like, now I want you to focus deep down and like, I'd never heard someone say that before. And I remember like imagining my eyes going like down into my stomach oh, wow. and it actually feeling like very relaxing. And that's just, I just immediately had like that imagery. And I think that like opened up, like I have always kind of been receptive to meditation and that kind of thing. I haven't always practiced it. You have to practice it. But I think like, I was lucky. I went to like this, you know, rich kid school where they did that but oh you're privileged asshole <laughs> yeah uh, uh, i'm no, just kidding but <laughs> i mean i I'm, I'm not, i don't think you're an asshole no no i'm privileged but uh definitely privileged maybe an asshole definitely an asshole too anyway i'm sorry but uh, despite <laughs> being privileged your fears and anxieties are real and you are dealing with your own problems i think this is a side issue but i think a lot of this push on understanding privilege and recognizing privilege which is good um i think but sometimes there's a lot of negative comes out of it because then people think they shouldn't have any feelings of stress or anxiety or pain because you can come from a place of privilege meaning monetary privilege and racial privilege and still have a very difficult time um in life right you don't want to deny it's never healthy to deny like bad feelings you're having, even if they're not as bad as someone else's situation. Exactly. Was, and Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I actually started reading that book and you, you recommended not the book, but the author Tara Brock. Is that how you say yes, her name? Tara Brock. Yeah, I love her. Um, and just in the beginning of the book, she talks about sort of, I don't know if I'm going to paraphrase this correctly, but the idea of sort of, not fighting whatever feeling you're having, just recognizing it, but, but doing that actually will spark the change. It's not like you're, you're just accepting your feelings so that you can be lazy. It's like accepting the problems will actually give you the space and freedom to then evolve and change. So it's like, it's super important, especially in moments now where we are trying to fight against privilege imbalances and, and racial, uh, racial issues that people who are privileged don't feel like denied of their own issues. You just, you accept, okay, I have issues, but there are also these issues that need to be solved externally right now. It doesn't mean I don't get to feel my own pain because if we squash that pain, you're not even going to be able to be a good uh, ally, you know? Right. Excel I don't know if any of that made sense. No, it did. That's an ex <laughs> it's an excellent um, uh, point. Um, I had the thing where I'm like, like you said multiple things and so i had thoughts on multiple things and then i had too many thoughts at once and now they've all um escaped <laughs> me but acceptance oh that's what it was accepting the feelings and that took me a long time to understand too because i would read it in all these books and my therapist would always say that 
It's about accepting. And I, for a long time, took accepting as don't do anything about it. You just accept it. But just because you accept something doesn't mean you don't do anything about it. You can accept right. something and take action to change that thing. Those aren't right. two separate uh, things. Right. There might be certain things you cannot change that you accept, but there's a lot of things that acceptance is just the first step. And then you go from there. Acceptance is the first step. <laughs> sounds like a, another podcast title or a book or something. But it is. I mean, acceptance is the key to everything. I mean, that's like with um, my sobriety and my therapy and my Buddhism, all of three things combined, what it, it all keeps coming back to is um, acceptance. And that's one of the things that I've found myself feeling mentally healthy, at least, to some degree during all of this stuff. First COVID, which is now over, fortunately, it ended. <laughs> COVID and now um, whatever this is, a protests, riots, looting, civil unrest. I mean, there's so many things happening at once, I guess, that it's hard to put a label on it. But what it stresses me out and makes me anxious and feel uneasy. But what helps is that lack of control, accepting that I don't have any control. I cannot actually do anything about this. Not to say I can't donate money to worthy causes and I'm politically active. I vote and I have conversations with multiple friends and try to do this podcast, which hopefully helps people with their mental health. So there's things I can do, but I cannot prevent looting and racism and um, whatever, or spread of disease. I can't really do any of that. Right. You have to do the actions and give up the any chance of the result being what you want it to be, which is that's a Buddhist thing, right? Giving up the or is that the, I think that's in the Bhagavad Gita, giving up the fruits of your actions. Bhagavad Gita. That sounds like a dance. What is that? I don't know. You look it up. All <laughs> right. Isn't it some Buddhist thing? I might be really mixing it up. Anyway, the, uh, the, the idea is like, yeah, you donate money. Maybe you go protest. Uh, you make a post you do whatever, but then you don't say like, well, I did all those things. Why aren't things getting better? You know, you just, you do those things and then you, you give the rest up because you can't control the result of any of those things. Right. Same with relationships or anything else. You, I mean, it's, there's so many ways to put it, keeping your side of the street clean and um, doing what I can do. I can only control what I can control and all, all those things. And that's how I keep feeling because in times like this, again, with COVID and civil unrest and um, there's a lot of feeling and pressure of what should I be doing? What can I do? And and I can come back to like, all I can do is live my best life and I can feel good about who I am and um, be kind to everybody. Yeah. And I, we underestimate how much that impacts other people just living living that way and then talking to your friends. And I, I feel like in the last, you know, months that I've been w working on my spirituality more and with sobriety and everything, I'll, I'll just like listen to a friend with their problem. And the friend will be like, thanks for just like listening, you know? And it's like, Oh yeah, I didn't even notice that was what I was doing, you know, just being a better listener or something. And then that rubs off on them and they realize like, Oh, I could just like be a better listener too. And like live, live a certain way. I don't know. No, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I feel like you're getting, um, 
anxious as it were that like you sound like stupid or something but or maybe i'm projecting <laughs> that because i think you sound stupid um yeah right you're like she must really hate herself because she sounds fucking dumb no but i mean at the end of it you're like uh oh, but i don't know maybe but i'm like i think it's a it's a really good point and they talk about that again in a lot of these buddhist books and tara brock talks about that is that it makes a difference because people hearing people talk that way makes them be like oh yeah like from my for me I listen to Eckhart Tolle or Jack Kornfield or Ram Dass or any any man, not no women, but right. um, no or Tara <laughs> Brock as well or like Ted Alexander who I bring up a lot on this podcast. Some people He's just great. talk in a way that like you leave being like I feel good, like I'm going to be really calm and I walk a little slower and I feel loose after talking yeah, to these people. Yeah, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, and and. Ted, all Ted had to do was just speak. Yeah, it's just who he is. It's just being around him, seeing him. I mean, even like reading, seeing like a, a photo of Ted because of the way he's lived his <laughs> life. I'm just like, oh, yeah, right. I can just cool down. And I don't even always agree with some of the stuff he says. Mm-hmm. But I know he's uh, saying it with conviction and he's put thought into it. And then he says it very slowly and usually like hilariously. Th- I like to think that you just have photos of him on your phone that you pull up in times of need. My little Ted photos? <laughs> yeah, you have an album. It's a, you know, a mindfulness album and it's just pictures of Ted. Well, there are like certain people, like I said, like I'll go to an Eckhart Tolle YouTube and just it, as soon as it starts playing, I'm like, I already feel better and I already find the answer in there. Uh, Colin Quinn is another person who's like, I'm just name dropping now, but is like a close friend of mine, but like his... His wisdom, I just talked to him for three minutes and I'm like, everything feels a lot better. Yeah, I guess I feel that way about my dad a lot of the time. Oh, shit, I was hoping you were going to say me. Oh. Um, yeah, but let's talk sure. about your dad. No. Let's, let's talk about your dad. <laughs> I mean, my dad was going to come up inevitably, but you're like, was he? I don't know. No, he was I said that as if that's a joke with us, like, my dad. <laughs> but No, I mean, you talked about your dad for a moment earlier. I know your dad. Yeah. I don't yeah. know your dad. My dad. I don't actually my dad's know your just, dad. <laughs> he's a very thoughtful guy and he, he always speaks very slowly and listens carefully. And any question you ask him, he'll go, well, and then he'll think about it and then he'll answer it. And it's very calming to me to be around him. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, like someone that takes time to answer is... It's a nice feeling instead of just like you finish talking and they start saying something like I'm doing with you. Yeah. And I was cutting you off and, you know, yeah, I, I should have done an episode with your dad. It sounds like he'd be a great guest. I'll probably have him on my on my thing once. What's your podcast? Do you want to plug it since you've subtly pushed it no, into the middle of no, my... No, no, it's not out yet. It's it's a new thing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right, I wasn't worried <laughs> it about it. Never. I just thought you might want to... <laughs> I know. I actually, I hate when people tell me, don't worry about it. And then I just said it to you. What do you a, hate that? I, I do hate that. What I hate more, this is like the thing I hate the I was going to say the most, but not even close probably, but I hate a lot of things. I'm an angry, cynical person, but, um, earlier you said you were a pretty happy guy, so I don't know what to believe anymore, Joe. I think you can, <laughs> I think both of those things can exist. I think you can be <laughs> angry and cynical and happy, but maybe not. Are happy no, and angry opposites? No. I think happy well, and sad maybe are opposites. Yeah, I think they're happy and angry are like 
one is to, they're not opposites. They're like, uh, I, I'm making a thing with my hands that no one can see. So you know what I'm talking about people. Like it's like just a different direction. Right. It's like to the side. They're, they're different, but they're not opposites, but they can coexist. What I hate. And so can all of us folks. Um, what I hate is when people don't hear you instead of saying, what was that? They say, what's wrong? That oh. makes me crazy. I'll be like, oh, I got to go to the uh, bank. What's wrong? <laughs> and I say, nothing's wrong. I have to go to the <laughs> bank. That drives me crazy. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's just like something only a real dick would say. That's That like gave me a pit in my stomach when you just said that. It's very frustrating. Yeah. So, when I said don't worry about it though, what I meant in that sense was just like, oh, like I don't I don't need uh to plug it. Like I I feel I need to like actually release the thing before like please don't don't worry. But what I hate is when I'm like, what happened? And they're like, don't worry about it. And I'm like, well, I wasn't worrying about it. I was just curious, you know. Yeah, it makes you feel like a child. It makes you feel uh stupid. It makes you feel little. Don't worry. This is for the adult. This is for us. Right, right. Um, so let me ask, what are you, what do you do for your um, anxiety? I think people like to hear these things. Are you a meditator? You're reading some Tara Brock. What else goes on? Is it exercise or all of the above? I exercise. That helps a lot. I was feeling really paralyzed today on the couch by anxiety and then finally got myself up and did a little workout and felt much better. So that's something. I wish I meditated more. I I feel like I read more about meditation than actually meditate, but I will say reading about it does calm me down. Sure. Cause, cause they'll give examples and I'm like, Ooh, yeah, I feel that. Like that makes sense. And I feel that in my body. And so reading, I like reading self-help books. I read this book recently called all about love by bell hooks. That was really nice. It was a book less about like anxiety and more about just the lack of love in our world. But it, that was a nice one. Maybe I'll check yeah, that out. Reading and, uh, exercising, talking to someone who calms me down, honestly, or talking to anyone, just calling somebody. But I, I, I admittedly don't have a good practice right now with like meditation. And I feel like you have a really solid meditation practice right now. Yeah, I've but been good with it. Something that helps is, and I think it's been happening more in this quarantine, is that I am able to take note of my patterns more of when I get anxious. And I think we were talking about this a little. Like you said, you feel shitty between like 4 and 5 p.m. or yes. something. And yeah, being like, oh, I... I'm not just like, cause when your life is a mess and you're running from place to place, if you feel shitty, you think something's wrong, but if nothing is changing in your life, if you're just sitting at home and then you feel shitty sometimes and not other times, you're like, Oh, that's just a, a pattern that's going to go up and down. And even just noticing the pattern and observing it and being aware of it, that immediately takes the edge off. Like, Oh, this is just my anxious time. And Oh, one other thing. I feel like I'm really going off, but no, no. I I struggled a lot with performance anxiety with viola to the point where I couldn't um, perform without like my bow shaking and did all this like hypnotherapy for that. And sometimes, you know, it helped a little. But something I learned from the, this hypnotist guy was people with OCD. The way you treat it is like every time you want to like go check up the stove, 
is off or do your little whatever you're going to do for your OCD, stopping and saying, it's not me, it's my OCD, and then not doing it. And I remember thinking that and being like, okay, what if I said, it's not me, it's my anxiety. And it just like separates you from the anxiety. And for me, that's like a quick little relief when I'm really having like a close to a panic attack. I can say like, it's not me, it's my anxiety. Yeah. Takes the edge off. I love that. And that's something, I mean, that is mind, that's mindfulness defined, really. I mean, that's exactly what um, mindfulness is, is that thing of like, I'm just being mindful of like, this is my anxiety. This is the thing. The only thing I would um, contend uh, maybe or whatever is that to separate yourself to me, I'm like, this is a part of me to let your anxiety be a part of you like, oh, this is that part of me where I have anxiety. It lives in, like Thich Nhat Hanh always talks about embracing it and being kind to it and even visualizing your anxiety as like a child that you pick up. Like your anxiety is like a child who's scared or nervous or crying. And what do you do with them? You you pick them up and, and hold them close and usually they'll stop crying. And mm -hmm. to sort of um, visualize anxiety or stress or anger that way to even like to visualize it as a small child that you're literally like picking up and holding close to you like, oh, this is my anxiety. Let me breathe through it, spend a moment with it. It really does help to kind of quiet it down because for most of my life, I didn't know that. And I would be like, oh, I'm losing my mind. Here comes that thing. And my therapist says it all the time. It's just anxiety. And it's like the way he says it, it's been so helpful to me. It's just anxiety. That's it. There's no, it's anxi right, you, anxiety is scary, but that's all it is, is anxiety. Yeah. I guess the way I said it, that like separates it. If you say it's just anxiety, that like gives it less power and then treating it like your child, that's like, okay, it's a part of me because it's my child, but it's like, it is still separate, but let me like care for it. That reminded me of, um, you have that joke about like your nerve, your thoughts don't serve them tea. Yeah. Uh, like what, what's the saying? The saying is let thoughts come into your head, but don't serve them tea. When you were saying like cu cuddling a child, it's like, well, maybe like you should let the thoughts come into your head and like serve them tea. Like, I don't know, like care for them. Right. right. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I guess whatever analogy you get to, I mean, so the, the, the tea thoughts thing is more about meditation specifically of like, don't get carried away with the thought. Don't follow that thought. Just be like, oh, we are like a thought comes in of like, I got to mow the lawn. Right. Like even go, if it's an okay thought, it's just. Yeah. Just think, okay, oh, I'm thinking about mowing the lawn. Come back to your breath. Let that thought go as opposed to sitting there and going, I got to mow the lawn. If I don't mow the lawn by three and then I, I get my allergies, I better take a Claritin before I mow the lawn. And oh, remember that old lawnmower at my parents? You don't want to go down that roll road. Right. Just, okay. So that's more of a technique to just quiet the mind in general, not to get rid of the like anxious thoughts necessarily, but just to get rid of like all the thoughts. Yeah. And then accepting the anxiety of like, you can still do things with anxiety. Like, cause I always, when I, I would have anxiety attacks or just high anxiety, I'm like, fuck, here comes this anxiety. And I have all these things to, I had to do. I got to go do a show or I'm going on a date or I'm watching a movie and now I have anxiety. Just yeah, okay, I have anxiety and I can still do those things with the anxiety and that acceptance allows it to kind of, it takes the teeth out of it for sure. 
Uh, same with like right. what you're talking with playing viola. Have you ever done a show where you just couldn't perform and you had to run off and you ruined the show? I've never run off, but I've like messed up so badly that it's just I knew that I wasn't going to, you know, that if it was a competition, I wasn't going to win. Or if it was an audition, I wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't get in or something. Isn't it strange uh, to compete with art? I think that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you ha it was like with college auditions because they they can't let everyone in. You had to audition for that. and But then at school, yeah, we'd have like the concerto competition. Like all the violists would learn the same piece and whoever played it best got to play it with the orchestra, like as a solo. Right. But yeah, it's it's weird. I, I was talking about this with someone because at least with classical music, it's like it's part art and part like you're an fart. athlete. <laughs> Sorry. Part art, part fart. Yes, um, it is part fart. Honestly, stupid. But you you are kind of it's like figure skating in a way because there's so much technique and athleticism with figure skating. But also you're they're dancers and you see some figure skaters and it's like there's just something about them. There's like this art artistry with them, whereas others, it's much more just the technique. Right. I think it's the same with classical music where you're not like jazz, you're improvising. It's much more like how could you how could you compare? You you do, but how you could argue that that's really like subjective. Whereas with classical music, you're learning a piece and learning it note for note. So you could at least be like, well, she played all the notes right. Yeah, it's just such a a bummer, I guess, that it, be, it comes to that place. All that, like comedy or music or whatever it is, comes to a place where somehow it becomes competitive because you have to audition and earn your way onto things. And um, you wish it wasn't because it's supposed to be fun and creative, but that's the way it goes. Now, do you have... Um, performance anxiety with comedy like you did the tonight show you're the last comic to perform on the tonight show is that that's yeah, right right I, like that was I like days so. before this all ended march 11th was the day i did it and then march 12th i think people were starting march 12th they did the show without an audience and then i think the next day they just shut down the show completely yeah march 11th was the last day of normal life like and you did the tonight show that's why you were on with bernie yeah yeah it was like the most surreal day because i met bernie I was making my DVD. I was living out a dream of mine. It was, you know, it was like a, always a dream to make it onto a late night television show. And the world was about to shut down. It was just the weirdest day. Uh, but I definitely struggle with performance anxiety with comedy. I, I talk about this a lot with people though. Like um, I get the same nerves, but because there's less uh, physical nuance with comedy that there is with playing the viola, right. I know the nerves aren't going to fuck me up. It's just energy. Like, it doesn't matter if my hand's a little shaky while I tell a joke, at least not for me and my style of comedy. Whereas if my hand is a little shaky when I'm playing viola, it completely screws up the performance. So I get nervous about the anxiety. Like, when, when I have adrenaline before comedy, I'm just like, it's not going to fuck me up. So I don't, I don't serve it tea or whatever. I, right. Right. If I'm a little nervous before viola, I'm like, well, this isn't going to be good. And then it spirals and God. builds on itself. But you said it though, this anxiety about anxiety. Like I, right. that's what I would have when I did late nights. I've, I've done it like 
I've done five late nights, so whatever. But um, <laughs> you get anxiety, oh, yeah? anxiety <laughs> about the idea of anxiety. Like, oh, I'm nervous that I will be nervous. And right. then I have a thing where I'm like, if I'm not nervous, I'm nervous that I'm not nervous. So it's this weird thing where even if I don't have anxiety, my life is ruled by anxiety. Right. And I will say with especially with viola, I haven't figured out the nerves yet. Like I still will take beta blockers for high stress performances with viola because I can't control the shaking. Right. And I even considered taking one before the tonight show, but like didn't have one and like knew it would kind of be fine. But I was like, maybe I'll be so nervous for that, that I will screw it up. Yeah. Well, my fear with late night was that like, what if I'm, it's a live show. I'm like, what if I'm so anxious? I can't go out there. I just pictured Letterman be like, what do you mean he can't come out here? Like, what are we going to do? We, we can't end the show. And like it, the word spreads that I'm a unreliable <laughs> fucking loser. And then I have to kill yeah. myself. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I don't, I don't usually get super anxious before comedy performances. I will say before the tonight show, I was, I had this fear that I would forget my jokes. Like I would just forget how to say them right. because in the rehearsal I was like, really, I was also really sick. And I, I oh, like yeah, completely I lost my voice the day before. That's right. And like didn't, it was like the scariest, worst day the day before. And so I didn't go out that night and do a set. And I was like, I haven't done comedy in a night. Like, and in the rehearsal, I actually did forget a joke. And I was like, uh oh, I'm going to forget all my jokes. So I was like nervous that would happen. I think we hung out like two days before that because we did. <laughs> I just went to Manhattan because I was sick at the same time, which I'm hoping yeah. that we both had COVID. That's what I'm hoping. I hope it. Uh, I also hope it wasn't because I also did like show up places, but I kept my distance and washed my hands. Yeah, Bernie else. didn't die. He, I, you know, it's actually really funny. I had <laughs> probably shouldn't be saying this, but I had a picture of me and Bernie that I was waiting two weeks after to post to make sure he didn't get COVID. That's fucking so that hilarious. they wouldn't like trace it back to me. They're like, there she is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this bitch killed Bernie. <laughs> well, because some people at the show knew I had been kind of sick, so they'd be like. Well, Isabel was sick and like, look at them. They're together. Yeah, I remember. It's funny because Sarah and um, her sister and I just went to the village for the first time. I went to Manhattan for the first time since. Uh Oh, you made a face. Was that a bad it text? Was lo- no, 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 no. I was lo- looking at my recorder again. Oh, God. Is it recording? Yeah. Oh, I saw a bad <laughs> face. I got nervous. But so we all went to the city for the first time since March and we parked uh, right across from where that hotel where we went in so I could shit. If you remember, oh, yeah. you knew a good shit spot. Marlton. Yeah. And that's where we parked. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so weird. Just like randomly, I ended up in the same place that I was the last time I was out in the city shitting at this packed hotel bar. Right. right. Um, <laughs> I don't know what made me think of that. I guess. Oh, because we were sick. It was right. It was like two days before the Tonight Show. Yeah. We were both kind of like, I have like a tickle in my throat. And then that night I uh, I talked to a guy on the phone for like an hour and then went to sleep, and then I woke up and had no voice. Right. Yes, I remember so, that. Uh, yeah, I had yeah. a cough every morning and night. The first four days of COVID, I had like a bad cough. Mm. Um, so maybe I had it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I, I feel like you were a few days behind me. Maybe I gave it to you. Um, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I never keep track of... Who got people? I hate when people do that. I got sick from you, and you're like, "Well, we're all everyone's fucking sick. It just spreads around." Yeah, and especially before people were wearing masks or taking any precautions. I mean, they're just particles in the air all the time. You never know who you got it from or who gave it to who. And yeah, so yeah. I'm sure. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not worried about it. But um, 
anyways, that's that's what like that's how I met you and what sort of drew me to you is you went on before me at um Skankfest. Oh yeah. And you were very funny, but also you seemed like you had the same anxiety as me. Like the you seemed like a mess. <laughs> yeah, like the the blinks and like I was like, oh, like you reminded me of me, and yeah. I was like, oh, that's like that's like female me when I was a new comic. Like, cause how long have you been doing comic comedy? Uh, about like five and a half years. Yeah, that's like how I felt, and I like related. I was like, oh, that feels like that's like lady me. Right. Um, <laughs> But anyway, like, cause you get, um, like a blinky thing sometimes. I, yes. Yeah. I have a blinky tick I've had since I was like eight. Yeah. Me too. When I'm like anxious or tired or yeah. You have a blinky thing. I guess you have glasses on, so it's harder to tell. Yeah. I've been doing it this whole podcast. If you watch my live at Gotham, my first television appearance, um, I'm doing it like <laughs> hardcore and luckily it was kind of before social media, but ev- all my friends from like high school were like, what are you, why are you doing that? And oh, yeah. it was one of those things I knew I was doing for a long time. And then my now ex-ex girlfriend, but like my girlfriend at the time, I was like 20, was like, hey, can you fucking stop doing that? Like she was like, it was like towards the end of the relationship. And oh, she was like, can yeah. you stop doing that? And it was the first person that ever called me out and it made me worse with it. I've gotten much better about it, but. Yeah, I minus eased up a little bit over time as well but i also used to do the thing where like i essentially would have to roll my eyes as a tick like i just did it for you like i don't know if you can see that but that was a a tick for me so (laughs) people would think i was rolling my eyes at them because i just like had to do that motion where i like roll them up i have a thing that i do in the car and i this is all ocd shit where Somehow I would I would think about crashing or destroy the car, which I still have when I drive. Of like, what if I got hit by a car, or drove off, and died in a car wreck? And I would have to do like knock on wood. Like people were like, ah, oh, don't knock on wood. And somehow I started by knocking on my head, like that old joke, knock on wood. People would knock mm-hmm. on their head, like their head is wooded. And then I thought of the joke wood, like an erection meant wood. That's what you would say years ago. So I would knock on my crotch and then i would knock on just the <laughs> dashboard because that feels like what you would knock on so for like the whole for 15 years of driving anytime i had a bad thought or someone would say something i would do all three i would have this tick where i hit my head and then my groin area and then the dashboard and yeah. no one ever really <laughs> noticed it but it's something i've done five thousand times yeah, I had a period. It's so I'm we sure, really do did. have a lot of. Si- <laughs> I had a, yeah, having mine soon. Uh, can you tell? I uh, that wasn't funny. I'm sorry. You can edit no, that it was out. That's terrific. Um, anyway, I'm gonna edit out <laughs> all of your lines in this. <laughs> just edit out. Just I'm not even gonna send you my track. It's just gonna be me <laughs> for 25 minutes. <laughs> but I had a really similar thing. I I outgrew you outgrew the knock on wood thing completely, right? You don't do that anymore. I think so. I don't know. I haven't, I don't know. I mean, I drove here by myself. Maybe I did it. I might do it and it's not even, it's like so subconscious. But I think now, like you said, I'm like, I don't need to do that. It's like, you know, this, my OCD. Sarah calls it the my Joe CD. Okay. Because I used, when I was maybe 11 for about a year, I, dis- I also decided I needed to knock on wood. Anytime I had a bad thought, like I would be like, in my head, I'd be like, you never had cancer. And then I'd have to knock on wood. Like I would like bully myself and compulsively say these things. And it was so bad that as I went to sleep, I had this nightstand that had a wood trim on it and I would sleep with my hand on the trim 
so that I could just keep knocking it as I fell asleep. Wow. Because I would like put myself to sleep with these like thoughts, like your mom's going to die or like, you you know, all these things. Well, you put um, me to sleep with your act, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But I, I had one where I, when I would go to sleep and this, I still do do, do do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if I had to, I would be closing my eyes to go to sleep. And then I would open, if I open one eye to look at something or to check the, the clock or whatever, I would have to open both eyes wide and then shut them together as one unit for some reason. Or else they feel uneven, right? Yeah, to like have one eye open and then just close the second eye. I had to open both and then close them together. It's yeah. weird, weird, a lot of weird shit like that. Yeah, like with my blink thing, if I do it, it has to feel even. Like I blinked both eyes or else one of them feels like colder than the other. Yeah, I'm yeah. always like evening them out by like doing weird contortions with my face. Yeah. It's, um, is it Tourette's? Sometimes I think it's like a mild Tourette's. I don't think so. I think it's retardation or, um, okay. no, sorry, <laughs> too far. I think no. that it's, um, I think it's OCD. I think that's all OCD. And then so right. is like, Whenever I'm driving, I have the visual of like crazy wreckage of driving off the highway or getting clipped and then just like a crazy bloody crash and the ambulance coming and I have to snap myself out of it. Yeah. Do you have problems seeing uh, really gory things in films? Like do they do the images like stick with you like too long or maybe that's everybody, but I feel like I get like really disturbed by certain things and then like keep seeing them over and over again no i don't think so i don't have that but what i i I never have that like movies don't bother me at all um but i do have i i do get bothered by needles going into an arm when they show they show it on the news all the time and it makes me fucking sick i I hate Mm. that um but i do have and this is another ocd thing the visualization of violence sometimes of just people in the street like i picture what it would look like for someone to get get shot in the skull. Just have like that, like, and I think about it when I see people like in the park, which is weird. Um, Yeah, that's really weird. I think there's no. (laughs) But that is part of uh, OCD to like visualize like horrific uh, violence. Right. Yeah. I guess I, I don't visualize that specific thing, but I definitely visualize like bad things or like, or I'll worry that I'm gonna do something bad like in my sleep. Oh, like, interesting. Oh, what if I like hurt someone in my sleep? Weird. It's so weird like that going to s- <laughs> it's so weird that like it's a the same disorder can cause all these different weird things. Like cause some people that have OCD, they drive home and then they're afraid they hit someone that they didn't realize and they're just dead on the side of the highway. And some people are so sick with it that they'll drive back to see if that person is in the side of the road. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't do that, but that just makes sense to me. Right, like right. That compulsion makes so much sense. Yeah. I'll like I'll be like if I'm sharing a, a living space with someone, I'm like, what if I like murdered them in my sleep or something? Yeah, it's fucking weird that those thoughts are in there. Or things of like laughing at a funeral or screaming like the worst thing possible in the supermarket. I have things like that. Like what if I yell something horrible? Yeah, Everybody. I also will just laugh when someone tells me horrible news as like a, it, I get uncomfortable and it's like a reflex. Like I want to be like, hey, you know, so-and-so, like they died. And then I just like, <laughs> or if I'm telling someone someone died, I always laugh yeah, as I say it. 
that's so funny. I mean, we gotta we gotta wrap up here soon, but um, to get to make it lighter than just horrific car accidents <laughs> and stuff, you saying that reminded me of me and my friend uh, Mike Cronin. Meet we call him. I don't know if you've ever met him. He's an amazing comedian and great guy. But um, we were at a comedy club, and we were talking like in front of the owner slash booker, and. He, I was telling him, about, I was like, hey, did you, did you hear what happened to this person, this guy? And he was like, no. And we had just been being silly and like just laughing and being goofs. And like, he's just really silly. And I'm very silly, despite this podcast. Like we were just <laughs> laughing. And I was like, oh, did you hear what happened to that guy? And he was like, no, what happened? And then I was like, he hung himself. And for some reason, I just started laughing. And then he started <laughs> laughing. And then the owner got really bummed out. And he was like, you guys are fucked up. And I was like, no, I like it was somebody that I cared about and was sad about, obviously, like, and we both knew the person, but for whatever reason in that moment, like we had just been goofing around. And I think because we're so silly and irreverent to say earnestly, he hung himself. Like it just felt <laughs> hilarious to us. Not that someone hanging himself is funny, but. Yeah. I also think for me, I, I, it'll come from weirdly like the same feeling that's excitement because you're like i know what i'm about to say is going to have like a huge effect on you right it's the same thing with like telling someone i haven't seen the godfather to bring it back like you're like oh they're gonna this is gonna affect them like and and i think just that like getting revved up like just somehow translates to laughter for me yeah <laughs> well i mean well someone said too i forget where i read this but like La sadness and happiness are first of all there's two sides of the same coin you can't have one with the other one they don't want to exist with the other there would be no mm -hmm. sadness if there was no happiness and vice versa but also like if you laugh hard enough you start to cry and if you cry hard enough you start to laugh right so both things are sort of intertwined they're close and they're both both things are also can be faked but they're um sort of like uh, uh visceral or whatever that word is they're impulsive or incontrollable whatever that word i'm you're a lot smarter than i am what's that word uh i i think impulsive is the word no well impulsive Re feels like they're ref they're like a reflex reflexive is that the word maybe i'm not that not smart. smart you're just like I'm, music smart i've been fooling you <laughs> um what is that fucking word involuntary is the word i'm thinking oh. of Yes, I think I was not going to think of that word, but I think that's the word. I think that's the word I'm thinking of. But <clears throat> anyways, they're both similar, crying and laughing, sadness and happiness. Right. My roommate's yelling. It's going to be weird if any of this is picking up. I can't hear your roommate. <laughs> no, you can't. But the microphone oh, on your mic, right? I'm like, up. well, I can't hear it. So it's probably fine. <laughs> it's just going to be weird if like while I'm saying this, you just hear like, <laughs> yeah, fucking motherfuckers or something, whatever. That's not. He's yelling at the movie. I think he's on the phone now. Oh, okay. Um, but anywho, we should wrap up. I feel like I've taken too okay. much of your time. I saw you look no, the other no. way at the phone a couple of times. No, so. it's it's not my phone. It's the the Zoom recorder. I'm just I'm new to using it, and I'm like, are the levels okay? Is it still recording? No, I hear you. I Is worry it about on? it too. Well, we have the backup, the actual Zoom computer as a backup, right. so we have it. Um, and my phone's recording mine also. We got a lot oh, of backups here. Perfect. I love that because I'm an anxious fella, obviously, as we've discussed. But it sounds like um, you're doing okay. We're getting through this. Yeah. 
I think relatively I'm doing all right. I'm doing much better than I would have thought I would do. If you told me this was all going to happen like five months ago, I would be like, oh, that's not going to be good for me. And actually, I'm, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I think that's important to remember. And I talk about this a lot on the podcast. It's like my therapist always says, like, this is one of my worst nightmares coming true. If everything's going to stop, you're not going to be able to do comedy. You're not going to be able to make any money. And um, there's going to be a deadly virus on the loose and you won't be able to see friends or go to the movies and it's going to be really scary. That's to me like one of my worst nightmares and it's come true and I'm okay. Right. I think you said that to me like early on in this, I was kind of like calling, I was like, what's, you know, how you doing? And you were just like, yeah, like we've been preparing for this. Are we, and we've been worrying about this our whole lives and look, it's happening and we're fine. Isn't yeah. that nice? Yeah, exactly. So, and then people with a lot of anxiety are uh, the best they say in um, crisis situations. So it's great. And then, you know, yeah. just let go and let God it's out of our control and we can just be the best people that we can be and try to be in the moment and we'll be fine or we right. won't be fine. And that'll be okay too. Right. Worst case scenario, we die. Yeah, and then like, I I think I think about that a lot. I'm like, yeah, dying isn't that bad. It's not so bad. It's <laughs> just like when we before you were born, right? That wasn't so bad. I was around before you were born, and it was fantastic. <laughs> Arguably better, right? That was like a great whatever nine years of my life. Yeah, I mean, I was sad and anxious, but yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, tell her where 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 can they find you? Oh, the people my. You can either, I guess I'm mostly active on Instagram. So at Isabel Hagen underscore. Isabel Hagen is annoyingly taken by some like 17 year old Swedish girl. Some douche. Um, I know. She doesn't even post. I don't want to message her. Anyway. And then my website, IsabelHagen.com has like a bunch of stuff. That's it. Yeah. You're not, you don't tweet too much. I'm not huge on Twitter. I, I tweet sometimes, but I something with the algorithm, I don't think I'm active enough on it that like it, unless someone big retweets my tweet it doesn't get any play. Um, well, if you're asking me to retweet, I suppose I could try if I see anything worth retweeting. Well, I haven't tweeted in a little bit. I'm also trying to to t- not be on social media as much. Yeah, especially same. right now when, when things are like kind of paused anyway, I might as well take the time to, here's one thing. I just, I do think it's better for my creativity to like not be constantly posting little things and getting validation and rather working towards one bigger thing. Right. Like really working on my jokes and like every day rather than the instant gratification, which I think actually interrupts like going deeper than I would have. Yeah. No, social media is uh, a horrific problem and I hate it. And then sometimes I just can't not respond to people. And then I'm just like fighting with some stranger who's a fucking <laughs> asshole and um, <laughs> it doesn't bring any satisfaction. And I think it's the worst thing to ever happen to our society. I agree, definitely agreed. Although I think now since it, it caused all the issues, I think we can use it now to solve them, like getting information out and c- in these times of riots and things. Yeah, but. there's things that are positive about it and there's things that are brutal. But anyways, that's a whole been better other, off without it. Anyway, that's yeah. a whole other conversation <laughs> for another day. But um, yeah, check out Isabel. Um, she's wonderful. Great comedian. Check out her Tonight Show appearance, which I assume is on YouTube. Oh, yeah. You just type in Isabel Hagen. I think it comes right up. Yeah, go check that out and give a nice comment and a like. And um, yeah, thank you for listening. And uh, if you want to support the show, we don't have ads or a Patreon. So if you want to Venmo, a lot of people did that. It was really nice at Show List Comedy. 
And uh, I was really grateful for that. So thanks. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, super nice. People are are nice. Most people are good, I think. I think so too. I think people want to be good. Yeah, people want to help. And I try to remind myself that in the divide, most people believe they are doing the right thing. I think a lot of people are misguided and a lot of people are getting bad information on mm -hmm. both sides politically are getting bad information, bad sources. And um, maybe I am too. I don't know. But I think most people think they're doing the right thing. Um, so, yeah, we went off the rails at yeah. the end here. I always do. I never no, know how to end a podcast, but. You know, it's like getting off the phone. It's impossible. Exactly. It's like getting <laughs> off uh, a woman. <laughs> hey, what I started doing is I go, keep, Keep fighting the good fight, and then that's it. Oh, that's nice. I thought you were going to tell me how you get off. Like you were like, how, I started I using a vibrator, and I was like, oh, oh that's Oh, yeah, that well, that's sense. a whole other thing that's happened during – There's do a whole other podcast about getting off in quarantine, but, you know, not the time or place. Yeah, certainly not. But, um, <laughs> all right, I'm going to hit stop on the recorder, okay. but then we'll all wrap right. up our conversation okay, not recorded. Great. Okay, great. Thank you, Isabel. Thanks. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts.